Good morning. Hi. Um, as Charlotte introduced me, I'm Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here at Asher Vineyard. And it's an absolute privilege and pleasure to be here with you this morning, and to for you to be here with us as well. It's thank you for trusting us with your Sunday morning. So today is Father's Day, and as we're here celebrating the men in our lives, I just want to start with a caveat in what I'm saying today. Um, I'm going to be using the word father an awful lot. Um, and that doesn't mean, ladies, that you can switch off, I'm afraid. Everything I'm going to say this morning, I'd love to, to say can apply to, to you as ladies as well. Maybe try interchanging the words when I use the word father for parents or mother or whatever that looks like for you in your circumstances and where you find yourself. I'd love to, to ask you two questions as we launch into this. One. What do you think makes a good father? And two, who are you being a father to at the moment? Now, in answering these questions, you might look at the example of your, your own father in the biological sense, and you might think of the attributes that the father in that video we've just watched showed. You might relate to God as your father in that way, or you might look back to the talks that we did a few months ago now, looking at God as the head of a family as the father. If you don't remember those talks or miss them, I definitely recommend downloading the podcast and having a listen again for more about what it is to be a father. And a son and a daughter of father as well. And in some sense, by asking these questions now, I'm pointing to the end of my talk. I'm trying to get you challenged early on, thinking, get the juices flowing. So I'm going to ask you these questions again and give you a second to think. What do you think makes a good father? And who are you being a father to? Now, as you consider those, I'd like to take you under the bonnet of my preparation for this talk a little bit and of in the background of what was going on. And if you've been paying any attention over the last few weeks, you'll know we're, we're in the middle of a series about the miracles of Jesus and using Jesus in the, as an example, encouraging us to get out and about, to get out into our communities. And, and we carry something with us as we go and do that. And we can see healing happen on the streets of Ashford and in the places where we live. And as I was reading and kind of considering what, what miracle to be looking at as part of the series today, I was drawn to one specific one and a specific character in that miracle that happened that was there involved. And I messaged Chris and said, Chris, do you want me to go down the miracle route as it's part of the series or focus on fatherhood as it's Father's Day? And his uh, amazing mentoring wisdom sent me a message back saying, however I felt led. So I've gone, I've gone with, yeah. I've gone with where, where we're at, but God works it together so beautifully. In that I was drawn to a father who is mentioned very briefly in one of Jesus' miracles. He encounters Jesus. And I looked at Jairus, of Jairus' daughter fame. Laura spoke beautifully about this at the beginning of the series a few weeks ago. But as I've been reading, I've been so, felt so drawn to the character of Jairus to explore what he did as a father who he was and how he fought for his daughter. I'm going to read from Mark 
which is one of the books in the New Testament about Jesus' life in the second half of the Bible. I'm going to start from verse 23. I'm reading from a translation called the Passion Translation. After Jesus returned from across the lake, a huge crowd of people quickly gathered around him on the shoreline. Just then, a man saw that it was Jesus, so he pushed through the crowd and threw himself down at his feet. His name was Jairus, a Jewish official who was in charge of the synagogue. He pleaded with Jesus, saying over and over, Please come with me. My little daughter is at the point of death. She's only 12 years old. Come and lay your hands on her and heal her, and she will live. Immediately, Jesus went with him, and the huge crowd followed, pressing in on him from all sides. I'm now going to skip the bit in the middle where the lady who'd been bleeding for 12 years touched Jesus' cloak and was healed. And Jesus said to that lady, Daughter, because you dared to believe, your faith has healed you. Go with peace in your heart and be free from your suffering. But before he had finished speaking, people arrived from Jairus' house. They pushed through the crowd to give Jairus the news. There's no need to trouble the master any longer. Your daughter has died. But Jesus refused to listen to what they were told. And he said to the Jewish official, Jairus, don't give in to fear. All you need to do is keep on believing. So they left for his home. Jesus didn't allow anyone to go with them, except Peter and the two brothers, Jacob and John. When they arrived at the home of the synagogue ruler, they encountered a noisy uproar among the people, for they were all weeping and wailing. And upon entering the house, Jesus said to them, Why all this grief and weeping? Do you know, don't you know the girl is not dead but merely asleep? Then everyone began to ridicule and make fun of him. But he threw them all outside. Then he took the child's father and mother and his three disciples and went into the room where the girl was lying. He tenderly clasped the child's hand in his hand and said to her in Aramaic, Talitha kum, which means little girl, wake up. Instantly, the 12-year-old girl sat up, stood to her feet and started walking around the room. Everyone was overcome with astonishment in seeing this miracle. Jesus had them bring him something to eat, bring her something to eat, sorry. And he repeatedly cautioned them what they were to tell, that they were to tell no one what had happened. So Jairus was a father. He had a little girl, 12 years old. Some of the commentaries I read said this was probably his only daughter. And as a leader in the community, a Jewish man, he would have had access to all of the doctors, all of the best people. And as a loving father, he would have done his best to take care of her every physical need, prayed his best prayers, only to see her continue to be unwell. The fact she died not long after Jairus had gone to find Jesus implies she was on the verge anyway. She was very, very poorly. I imagine him being at the end of his tether. Where do I turn? Where do I look? And what he did is an example of, I can only imagine as I'm not a father myself, but what any father would do for their own child. He went looking for an answer and he stood up, took on the problem head on. As I thought about this some more, 
I think for most men, it could have gone two ways at that point. It could have gone one way of spending that time with his daughter, with family together, treasuring their last moments, accepting what was going to happen, accepting the fate and the illness and, and death that was coming. Or it could have gone the other way, with the father deciding to take action, not accepting the situation that he found himself in and making a stand, taking action. And Jairus decided to take that route as a father. He didn't rely on anyone else. He didn't take any servants. He didn't send his, the mother. He didn't send any, anyone else from the group there. He went and he took action himself. He stood up as a father. He heard Jesus was coming and he, made it, he decided to make a stand. Now, I'm pretty sure Jesus showing up anywhere at this point would, of course, drawn a lot of attention. He'd been preaching in Capernaum where Jairus and his family lived. And he'd gone across the other side of the road to escape all those crowds. The other side of the road. The other side of a lake. And in the meantime, as he'd gone away, he'd calmed a storm. He, Jesus had also freed a man from, from the demons, possessing him as well. And he'd gone and done that. And was coming back across the lake at this point, back to Capernaum. And there were crowds waiting for him to come back on the shore. And as a leader in the Jewish community, Jairus had a decision to make. He had to take the stand he did at that point, throwing himself at Jesus' feet. That would have cost him his reputation, potentially cost him his standing in society. <clears throat> as at this point, Jesus wasn't overly popular with, the, with some of the Jewish community, especially the leadership. But Jairus threw himself down at Jesus' feet, pleading with him over and over again. Jesus agrees to go. They're pushing through the crowds. Something happens with, with this lady who'd been bleeding for 12 years and being healed after she touches Jesus' cloak. This would have held them up. The great crowd of people, Jesus stops. I imagine Jairus waiting there, like, what's going on? We're going to... To get my daughter healed, Jesus, you said you'd come and do this for me. But he waits patiently, fully trusting that Jesus is the answer. Now, even after he hears his daughter has died, he and the, the people come, I imagine that tore him apart. He'd thrown himself on the line. He'd thrown himself at Jesus' feet for his daughter. He'd given up, given up everything for his daughter, and it must have ripped his heart apart. But Jesus, in that moment, I imagine him putting a hand on his shoulder, grabbing him in a hug even maybe, and just saying, don't worry. Don't worry about it. Don't fear. All you need to do is keep on believing. It's going to be okay. And they go back to the house, and amidst the chaos of all of the mourners, the wailers, the weepers, Jesus creates a moment of peace where he whispers to the little girl, whilst tender, tenderly clasping her hand. Little girl, wake up. And then picture the joy of Jairus as she gets to her feet. She stands where she's been laying unwell for so long. She stands, she walks around. And Jesus says something as practical as get her something to eat. She needs food in her. That's, it's a family restored because the father refused to let fear and sadness grasp him. And because he took action to turn to Jesus amidst all the chaos of everything going around him. 
Without taking that action, Jairus may well have lost his only child. He needed to stand up and take responsibility. Go and find Jesus. And as I asked you the question at the beginning, what makes a good father? For me, part of the answer lies in that. It lies in someone who's willing to take a stand, make an action, make a difference in someone's life, all rooted in love for the person we're fathering. Love for our family members should lead us to make the right decisions, should lead us to stand up and be counted. Here at Ashford Vineyard, we talk about being sons and daughters a lot. And we talk about how loved you all are and I am and we are as by an awesome father. We've sung about it today as well. I've known you as a father, I've known you as a friend. And we remind you constantly that God loves you. God is on your side, that he, he's chasing after you and he's doing that relentlessly as well. But it's all very well us knowing that here. How does that move us to here? Does it make that journey from our head of knowledge to our hearts and knowing it, to feeling it, to experience it, to living it? One way I think we can do that is by showing others how loved they are. That relentless love that we experience and we show from our Father God. By showing others that they're cared for, cared for, that they have someone chasing after them who's on their side, there for them completely. And our Father's Day is an amazing time for us to celebrate that. To celebrate the men and the fathers in our lives. Now, understand this is a difficult day for some people. And I was speaking to someone this week who said she never really knew when Father's Day was, as she never had a father to celebrate. That hit me right here, as I've dwelt on that and thought about that. It's led me to ask the question, what is the state of fathering in today's society? Are there enough fathers like Jairus who are willing to make a stand and make a difference in someone's life? This week, I've seen examples within Storehouse, which is our, our kind of baby bank with baby clothes and equipment. And there's a food store there where people can come and take what they need for their children, clothes and all kinds of stuff. And we offer support as well for them beyond kind of emotionally and um, spiritually as well. And when they come into this warehouse, all through the week, we see a number of people coming through these doors. But these two ladies I met this week were both struggling financially due to recent relationship breakdown and communication with fathers who'd left children and them showing no interest in the children, either financially or being there physically for them either. One of these was after a marriage of 10 years, leaving a son of six as well. And we have people in this church who are having to fight to try to encourage, persuade, whatever you want to call it, their partners to take responsibility and step up to father their children. And on the other end of the spectrum, I've had the privilege of praying for a guy who's fighting to even see his child at all, as he's not been allowed to so far. In this church, we want to see families thrive. We want to see them be the best they can be. And in one of the letters in the New Testament, which is in the second half of the Bible, it's, one of, it's a letter written by a guy called James who's thought to be Jesus' brother. It says, True spirituality that is pure in the eyes of our Father God is to make a difference in the lives of the orphans 
and widows in their troubles and to refuse to be corrupted by the world's values. I'll read it again. True spirituality that is pure in the eyes of our Father God is to make a difference in the lives of the orphans and widows in their troubles and to refuse to be corrupted by the world's values. The Greek word that is used in, in this letter here is orphanos, which doesn't mean orphan in a physical sense as your parent, parents aren't alive anymore. It actually means those who are fatherless, those without a father figure, those who are bereft of a teacher, a guide, or a guardian. So James in this letter is encouraging the church to make a difference and influence the lives of those without a father figure, those bereft of a teacher, bereft of a guide, bereft of a guardian, bereft of anyone who's cheering them on. And that's why I asked you the question at the beginning of the talk. Who are you fathering? It's not just a biological thing we're called to. It's so much more than that. I have the privilege of being a mentor with our Excel mentoring scheme. I'm current, currently in my third mentoring relationship. And it's been great getting to know all of the young guys that I've mentored. We're with them for about a year to 18 months. And I wanted to mention the second one to you. He was, a, I think he was 13, selective mute, basically. He was having trouble at school. He was referred to us by his school. One of six siblings with a couple of different dads around the family. And I'm not going to lie. At the beginning of that relationship, when MJ and Dave came and kind of told me about this young man, I was a bit worried. I was dreading it. I was like, how, how do I even start that relationship? How do I start that communication? How do I build a relationship with that? Some of the sessions were really hard work because I would sit there talking effectively at this young man, getting very few nods, shakes, gestures in return. The odd occasional word, maybe. But as I gained his trust, he started opening up a little bit more to me. He started saying a few more words, strung a couple of sentences together in response to questions I was asking. He was smiling a little bit more. I found out a little bit about Fortnite from the whole experience as well, which is something I didn't know anything about, so I learned from it as well. But when it came to the end of my year mentoring him, I, I kind of asked the question, I wasn't sure what we'd achieved, what, how I'd helped him, other than us hanging out and being together. I wasn't quite sure what impact that had had. We hadn't worked towards any specific goals or anything like that, as we hadn't really had the opportunity to talk about those. But when I heard from MJ and Dave the feedback that, um, that his mother had given, so MJ and Dave are our excellent mentoring coordinators, and they do a great job at that. And they go and meet with all of the, the mentees at the end of the relationship to talk to their, their families about how it's gone. And the response from this young guy's mum blew me away. As they talked about how he'd been completely different at home, how he was talking at home more than ever. He'd actually been excited about coming home from our time together and, and talking about that and chatting about what that looked like. I wish he'd told me sometimes. <laughs> but yeah. 
He was still having a bit of trouble in school, but that had improved. His relationships with teachers were improving. And what absolutely blew me away about this whole thing was it was amazing spending some time facing the difficulties and frustration with this young guy. But just for him to know that there was someone looking out for him, that cared for him, that was looking to make a difference for him and was there for him because they wanted to be there for him. No other agenda. That was me having the opportunity to be a father figure in some respects to him, to stand up for him. Next XLM, XL mentoring is just one way we can stand up and do that. So I want to ask you again this morning, who are you fathering? Who are you standing up for? If you're a biological father, how are you doing that for your children? Or like me, not one yet, who are the people you are standing for, standing next to, cheering on, celebrating? Who are you reflecting the love of our Father God to? Who are you throwing yourself at Jesus' feet for and being like Jairus to? And if you don't know the answer to that question, I'd encourage you to go away. Ask God to point people out to you. We have opportunities throughout this church to interact with young people and children. We have our AV kids upstairs who need volunteers. We have our youth as well, all who need people to come on board with them, to inspire them, to cheer them on, to celebrate them. We have at Excel Mentoring as well. We're a home for good church, which is a charity who produced that video there who looked to get children who are in care into foster and adoption. All of these opportunities are there for us to be a father, to make a difference to someone's life, to be an inspiration and to be a father to the fatherless even. We are loved by a father who loves us so much, who chases us down, who relentlessly pursues us, who is on our side. Let's be people that celebrate that and reflect that back to the people of Ashford in the communities we're in, in the the school gates we find ourselves at, the, as we're parents, as we meet people on the street, as we have opportunities to build relationships. Let's continue to show people how loved we are by showing them how loved they are as well, by getting alongside them and celebrating them, by being a father figure to them. If you'd like to stand up, I just want to take a moment. No, yeah, everyone stand up. We'll do that. This is almost a rally cry this morning. I really feel that there's a sense of a momentum in this and people standing up, especially men, just standing up and making a stand and saying, we don't want this to be a fatherless generation. We don't want people in our community and our neighbourhoods not knowing father figures, not knowing that they're so loved. So right now, I encourage you just to, as men, put your hands out in front of you God's putting people on your heart right now that he wants to show you who you can father, who you can be fathers to, outside of your biological relationships within your family. There are relationships you've got already that you can be an inspiration. You can cheer on the next generation of young people and make a difference and show them how loved they are. So ladies, if you're near one of those men, I encourage you to put a hand on their shoulder. Just if you feel God's saying anything to you, for them, about them. Father God, I thank you how loved we are. Thank you that you pursue us relentlessly.
that you're there for us. You never let us down. You chase us with every part of you. You long to win us back. You long to have us with you at your feet. Let us be men and fathers who reflect that back to the people that we know, who make a difference in, a difference in the communities we find ourselves in. So we stand now and we say we want to make a difference. We don't want this gen- next generation of people to be fatherless, to not know how loved they are. Yeah, we want to make a difference for you in Ashford. Your kingdom come in Ashford, Father. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Just um, just as I... Feel free to sit down. Thank you. Just as I finish, and as we were worshipping, um, Kez was running up to see Adam on the stage here. I don't know whether you all saw it. And she was trying so hard to get to him. And... Like, running up, and Lauren kept crying, fishing her back again. She got up on the stage and all things like that. And I was like, how much did God long for us to be chasing after him like that? Climbing over the things in our way to get to our dad. I think she had a cup or something. I don't know if she wanted to show him or share it with him or whatever. But how much does God long for us to be chasing after him in that way? So I encourage you, as you go from here today, let's be people that chase after God as well, as we look to this and look to him as an example, as a father. Thanks for listening to our podcast today and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.